learn from your word as we look at your scriptures. We know that all scripture is profitable, and we can understand that we can learn something from the Bible tonight. I pray you help us to do that, and Lord, uh, please work through me to be able to help the people tonight. Thank you for their faithfulness to be in church, even on the last service of the year, Lord. We love you. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Amen. Alright, well we're there in Acts chapter number 22. And if you remember from last week, Paul is in Jerusalem and has been pretty much assaulted by the Jews. If you remember, he, uh, the mob of the Jews came and they uh, were trying to kill him. They were trying to beat him to death. And if you remember, the chief captain uh, and the soldiers came in and rescued him from, from the mob that was trying to kill him. And they took him into the castle, into the prison there. And Paul asked for permission to be able to speak to the Jews. And if you remember last week, we dealt with that passage there in chapter 22 where he was preaching to them and he gave them his testimony of when he got saved and uh, the events that took place on Damascus Road and how he got saved three days later in Damascus. And we dealt with all that last week. But if you remember, as he was giving him this testimony, he was talking about his past, and he was talking about how he got saved, and how Jesus Christ got his attention. And in verse 22, when he got to his, or in verse 21 actually, it said, And he said unto me, Depart, for I will send thee far hence unto the Gentiles. And he told him how Jesus Christ told him, I'm going to send you to be a missionary to the Gentiles. And in verse 22, And they gave him audience unto this word. When he said the word Gentiles, they would heard enough. And then lifted up their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for it is not fit that he should live. And they're yelling this back at uh, Paul as he was talking to them. And in verse 23 it says, And they cried out and cast off their clothes and threw dust into the air. And they're just throwing a fit. And they're just mad about what Paul had to say. And in verse 24... I'd like you to see the chief captain commanded him to be brought into the castle. So the chief captain said, that's enough. He has him brought into the castle and bade that he should be examined. And I want you to notice the next two words. By scourging. That he might know wherefore they cried so against him. So they said, let's beat him and let's beat Paul. Let's scourge him. And we're going to do this so that we can know wherefore they cried so against him. So they're going to, pretty much their plan is this. We're going to beat him till he confesses to us, till he tells us what he did wrong. What, you know, why are they so mad at him? And I like you to look at verse 25. It says, And as they bound him with thongs, Paul said unto the centurion that stood by, and I'd like you to notice the question he asked. He asked, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man that is a Roman and uncondemned? And I'd like you to notice something in this passage tonight, something I want to talk to you about, is the subject of our rights, or, or the rights. And I want to talk to you about three different rights that we could have. And the first one is this, the rights of a Christian. The rights of a Christian. And, you know, sometimes we get this idea... That as Christians, we, uh, you know, should just... I've, I've heard people say this before. As Christians, we should just assume ourselves as to having no rights in this society. As to, you know, not having any rights as an American. You know, we're Christians and we should let people just do whatever they want. Now, here's the thing. Um, there, there is something to be said for the fact that, uh, you know, there comes a time in every Christian's life when we should willingly give up our rights, okay? When we should willingly uh, allow ourselves to be uh, taken advantage. Let me just show you uh, a few of those examples. If, if you uh, go with me there to... Let's see, good night. Did I... I didn't write down... Where did I go? 
Yeah, go over to Matthew chapter number 5. Matthew chapter number 5. Look at verse number 38. Matthew chapter number 5. And look at verse number 38. And, and there is an aspect to this in the scriptures. And I think, you know, we do need to, uh, we, we do need to get this in our Christianity. I, I don't think that most Christians, especially in the United States of America, understand this concept of Christianity. But we must understand this. In Matthew chapter number 5 and verse number 38, the Lord Jesus Christ was teaching a, a very uh, powerful sermon. And He said, Ye have heard that it hath been said, An eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. Now Jesus said, look, this is what you've heard before. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And that was a law. And they would say, if someone hurt you in the way where they caused you to lose an eye, then that person would lose their eye. Someone hurt you, someone hit you and you, lose, you lost a tooth, then th- their punishment would be that they lose a tooth. You, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But watch as the Lord Jesus Christ takes Christianity to a higher level. In verse 39 He says, But I say unto you, that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now that, look, that goes anti our flesh, uh, and anti uh, our, our natural man. He said, if someone hits you on one cheek, he said, turn, turn the other cheek. And you know, you, you, we hear this phrase a lot, turn the other cheek, turn the other cheek. And I used to, you know, when I was a kid, and I had to hear that before, I used to think like, it meant turn the other cheek, like don't give any attention to it. Like someone hit you and then just like turn the other cheek, like just kind of forget about it. But you know what he's literally saying is this. Someone hits you on one cheek, turn the other cheek so that they can hit you on the other one. That's what he's saying. He's not saying like turn the other cheek, like oh, I just kind of forget about it. He they, they hit you on one cheek and you literally put the other cheek out there for them. You, you say, you can go ahead and hit me again if you'd like. Look at verse 40. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good. And sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. Do you understand this passage? I mean really the power that God... The Lord Jesus Christ just literally told... He said that ye may be the children of your Father. Now obviously he's not telling us that you're going to be uh, you know, a child of God based on these things. We understand that salvation is by faith. And we'll talk about that here in a little bit. But you know what he's literally saying? He's saying if you want people to identify you as a child of God. If you want people to identify you as a Christian. as a, that, that you really do belong to the Heavenly Father. You say, how are people going to identify you? Way. You say, well, they'll identify me like that because I go to church. Or they'll identify me like that because I put on a tie. And they'll identify me like that because I carry around a big black Bible. They'll identify me like that because I tell them I'm a Christian. Let me tell you something. There's a whole lot of people in this world who say they go to church, who say they're a Christian, who dress up on Sunday morning and, and you know, head off to church and go to a Bible study. But the way the world is going to see you and say, wow, that person really does have something. They really do have a relationship like a father-son relationship with God. Here's how I know it. They're always willing to turn the other cheek. They're willing to be taken advantage of. And we're not saying put yourself out there to be taken advantage. But you know, it's easy 
to love them that love you. It's easy to love your neighbor and hate thine enemy. I mean, the pub, that's what everybody, everybody hates their enemy. But true Christianity, when the rubber meets the road, it's when you love your enemy. It's when you bless them that curse you. Do you understand that? Someone curses you and says, you know, I am blankety blank you. And, and instead of you turning around in your anger and in your pride and, and cursing you, you say, man, you know what, God bless you. You bless them that curse you. You do good to them that hate you. You pray for them which despitefully use you. The Bible tells us, I don't have the verse in front of me, but the Bible tells us that the Lord is kind to they that are unthankful. And that's true Christianity. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. Let me show you that even a little further. Within, within church. And let me tell you something. Uh, our church is very good at it. We try hard to keep a spirit of uh, a family spirit. We, we try hard. Many church, there are many churches where people don't fellowship. You know, there's many churches where people just walk into church, nobody even talks to each other, they sit down, they sing the song, you know, and it's kind of dead, and then they get through the preaching, everybody leaves, nobody talks, very cold. And, and I don't, we don't have that here. You know, here, people really enjoy seeing each other, and people really enjoy spending time with each other, and getting to know each other. But let me tell you something, you know what will transform the atmosphere of our churches if we get this attitude about us, that we will prefer the other better than ourselves. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, just look at verse number 1, the Bible says, There any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unjust, and not before the saints? He's saying, look, you, you better never have an issue with another Christian, especially another Christian in church, where you actually sue them and take them to law. And because he says, this is what people were doing in the church of Corinth. And he's saying... Paul is saying, are you seriously taking a Christian, a believer, taking another Christian to court to be judged of someone who's going to die and go to hell, an unbeliever? Look at verse 2, he says, do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? What is that talking about? The millennial reign of Jesus Christ. Remember we talked about that a couple weeks ago? The judgment seat of Christ. When you will be rewarded, you'll get to judge the world. You'll you'll reign and... and, uh, You'll judge and reign with the Lord Jesus Christ for a thousand years. He says, don't you know that the saints are going to be the ones who are going to judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? That'll be cool. Have a staff of angels. Get them, have them get you coffee and stuff like that. That'd be nice. He said, how much more things that pertain to this life? If then ye have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. I speak to your shame. Notice what he said in verse 5. He said, I speak to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you? No, not one that shall be able to judge between his brethren. But brother goeth to law with brother, and that before unbelievers. He's saying, there's not one person in your church that can maybe try to help you and settle that matter and figure out, you know, and give you some help there and judge. And, and he says, you know, you're, you're taking your brother to law and you're doing it in front of unbelievers. And then he's, and, and, and he, this is what he's saying. He's saying, if there is no one to help you judge, if no one in your church is smart enough to be able to do it, if that's what you honestly believe, and obviously we know that's a lie. But he says, look, even the least esteemed person can help you. But even if, if you think no one can help you with your problem, he says, Here, here's what I'd rather you do instead of you taking it to court, taking it to an unbeliever. He says in verse 7, Now therefore, there is utterly a fault among you, because ye go to law one with another. Look what he says. 
This is Christ- the type of Christianity we do not know. In verse 7 he says, Why do ye not rather take wrong? Why do ye not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? And today, in America, we have this attitude, I've got rights. Amen, you do. But why don't you just choose, sometimes, to let a little bit of Christ come out. And say, you know, I'll go ahead and take wrong. You know, I'll go ahead and allow myself to be defrauded. You say, why would you do that? That's so weak. You know, you got to understand this. Don't confuse weakness with meekness. The Lord Jesus Christ wasn't weak, but He was very meek. And the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, it, it took more strength to be able to allow Himself to be beaten, to be allow Himself to be spat on, to allow Himself to be crucified when He's the Creator of the universe. That took more strength, that took more power to not destroy them right there. And God calls us as Christians to do the same. We ought to allow ourselves to be defrauded. We ought to seem... Others better than ourselves. You know, if, if, if there's just one last handful of popcorn back there, I want you to have it. That's the attitude we should have. Go back with me to Acts chapter number 22. There is something to be said about giving up your quote-unquote rights as a Christian. However, that's not always what we should do. Look at Acts 22. Now first let's talk about this. What rights were being violated here of the Apostle Paul? Look at verse 24. He says, The chief captain commanded him to be brought into the castle and bade him that he should be examined by scourging, that he might know wherefore they cried against him. And as they bound him with thongs, Paul said unto the centurion that stood by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man that is a Roman? And I want you to see the last two words. And uncondemned. I want you to understand something. Do you know that when our nation was established, it was established on the principles of the Bible? You know that all the rights that we've been given literally came from the Bible? And the Apostle Paul here, he's standing up for this right. Here's the right he's standing up for. Innocent until proven guilty. That's, that's what he's saying. He says, look, I'm not even condemned. Why are you going to beat me? You, have, you haven't proven me guilty. Now look, you need to understand this as Christians. We're getting to the place in our society where they're turning things around. You're no longer innocent until proven guilty. You're guilty until proven innocent. You say, give me an example. I'll give you a perfect example. I hear about this all the time. Somebody will get mad at their baby's mama or whoever and pick up a phone call and make an anonymous call to one of the worst departments of our government called CPS, Child Protective Services. And I've literally heard story after story after story where CPS will come to your house and guess what? You're guilty until proven innocent. You've got to prove yourself to be the good parent. Or they'll take your kids, or they'll take you to court, or they'll make you go to classes. Look, that's wrong. The, the Bible says, and our Constitution says, you know, and our, our principles in the United States of America are, that we are innocent until proven guilty. And let me tell you something, the burden of, uh, of proving the guilt is not on the person being accused, but on the person doing the accusing. You have not have to prove yourself innocent. They ought to prove you guilty. And Paul was standing up and saying, hey, wait a minute, what am I being charged for? He said, I'm uncondemned. You can't beat me. Look at verse 25. And as they bound him with thongs, well, actually, let me tell you this. There's, there's another, another uh, 
And, and another uh, right here that they uh, mistreated. If you look at verse 25 again, it says, The chief captain commanded him to be brought into the castle and bade that he should be examined by scourging. Look what it says. That he might know wherefore they cried so against him. They said, we're going to beat him till he tells us what he did wrong. You know what other right they violated? The Fifth Amendment. What's the Fifth Amendment? Who's ever been arrested and said, I believe the Fifth no. You don't have to, you don't, you don't have to incriminate yourself. The right to not incriminate yourself. And they're going to they're beat Paul to the place where he told them what they, he did wrong. And Paul's saying, wait a minute. Now you're saying, well, this wasn't the United States of America. I know, but I want you to understand this. Those principles that we have in the United States of America came from the Bible. The reason we have the freest nation in the world, even today, is because our founding fathers read the Bible and read the Scriptures and said, wait a minute, it's wrong to beat a man uncondemned. He ought to be proven guilty. It's wrong to beat someone till they confess. They ought to have the right to not incriminate yourself. And you know what? Let me show you something very interesting. Go with me uh, real quickly to... Uh, let's see if I got it in my notes. Good night. I wrote these notes out, and they're not ran out very well, I guess. Go with me to Mark chapter number 15. Mark chapter number 15. You're there in uh, Acts. Go back to Mark chapter number 15. Look at verse number 1. Mark chapter number 15. Look at verse number 1. Let me show you where these rights came from. They're, they're, they're established for us in the Bible. You know that the rights the, the right to not incriminate yourself was exemplified to us by the Lord Jesus Christ? He's like, what are you talking about? Look at Mark 15, 1. Look what it says. And straightway, in the morning, the chief priest held a con- consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council and bound Jesus and carried him away and delivered him to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Art thou the king of the Jews? And he answered, Answering said unto him, Thou sayest it. And the chief priest accused him of many things, but he answered, look what he said, but he answered nothing. You see that? But he answered nothing. And Pilate asked him again, saying, Answerest thou nothing? Behold how many things they witness against thee. But Jesus yet answered nothing. So that Pilate marveled. You see that? Isn't that interesting? Go with me real quickly to John chapter number 19. You're there in Mark. Go to Luke and John chapter number 19. Look at verse number 9. John chapter number 19. Look at verse number 9. The Bible says we'll find here a a different uh, aspect of the same story. In verse 9, a little later on in the story, it says, And and went again into the judgment hall, and saith unto Jesus, Whence art thou? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then saith Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee, and have power to release thee? And at this point, Jesus says, okay, I'm going to say something. Verse 11, I love what he says. Jesus answered, Thou couldest have no power at all against me, except they were given thee from above. Therefore, he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. But I want you to notice something. All the time that the Lord Jesus Christ met with Pilate, he spoke when he wanted to, and he never allowed them to, to force him to speak. And he never incriminated himself. They, they would accuse him, and the Bible tells us they lied about it. They couldn't find two witnesses to agree on a story. And they would say, what do, you, what do you say about that? And he just said, he didn't incriminate. And, 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 here's what, and I can show you example after example. The rights that we have in our country are brought to us out of the light of the Bible. You should have the right not to incriminate yourself. You should have the right to a uh, speedy trial. You should have the right to uh, be proven uh, guilty and then punished. Not, you know, be left in a prison somewhere. For years without even being tried. Paul stood up for his right. But by the way, let me tell you something. First Corinthians, where it said, why, why don't you rather allow yourself to be defrauded? Why don't you rather take wrong? 
Paul also wrote those words. Obviously, we understand he, he wrote those through the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. But there's a balance in our Christianity where we sometimes turn the other cheek. But look, every once in a while, don't let this world confuse you. It's okay for a Christian to stand up for his rights. Paul stood up for his rights. Paul stood up for, for, for the, you know, the rights that he had. And he said, hey, you can't do this. But I want you to understand something, okay? The Bible does not necessarily teach us that we need to stand up for our rights. Uh, I should have had you stay there, but you're, you're, go back with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. I want you to see the last part of that verse. 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. Look at verse number 26. Something very interesting. 1 Corinthians chapter number 27. Uh, I'm sorry. 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. Verse 26. If you're looking for 1 Corinthians chapter number 27, you're probably going to be looking for a while. 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. Look at verse number 26. 1 Corinthians... Good night. Where am I at? 1 Corinthians 7... Oh, sorry. 21. 1 Corinthians 7, 21. It'd help if I could read my own handwriting. 1 Corinthians 7, 21. Look what it says. He says, Art thou called... Now, that called there is talking about being called to salvation. Saying like when you got saved. He said, Art thou called being a servant? Now, the word servant there, we would interpret that word as a slave. Okay? He says, Art thou called being a servant? A slave? Look what he says. Care not for it. Do you see that? You know what the word care means? It says, Don't worry about it. It means don't care about it. He said, Are you called being a slave? Care not for it. Now, keep your finger there in 1 Corinthians 7, 21, because we're going to come right back to it. But go with me real quickly to 1 Timothy, chapter number 6. 1 Timothy, chapter number 6. And I'm going to teach you something in the Bible right now. Just listen up and accept this, uh, you know, as the Scriptures and accept it with an open heart. Because I'm going to tell you something that might sound ridiculous to you, but I'm telling you right now, it's the Scripture. 1 Timothy, chapter number 6. Look at verse number 1. Okay? Look what it says. Let as many servants as are under the yoke. Okay? We understand that the word servant there is not just an employee. Now we can make this fit the analogy of an employee. But when it says let as many servants as are under the yoke, that's talking about a servant who is a slave. It says let as many servants as are under the yoke. Look what it says. Fight for their freedom and their right. Is that what it says? He just told the slave, he says that as many servants as are under the yoke, count their own masters worthy of all honor. Do you see that? That the name of God and His doctrine be not blasphemed. Now let me tell you something. Owning a slave and owning a human being is the most despicable, one of the most despicable sins that a human being could ever perform. And the Bible preaches strongly against it in the book, in, 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 the, in the Bible there, in the Old Testament laws. You know, God told them that if they were going to have a slave, they were going to have someone who would be their slave. They could only have a slave for a certain amount of time. You could not own a human being for their entire life. You know, if someone was in a lot of debt or had a lot of problems and they couldn't pay that off, you could have them be a slave to work that off, but only for seven years. You couldn't own a human being. Nobody can own a human being. But you know, on the same token there, when, the, when, when Paul and the Holy Spirit wrote to these uh, slaves, these servants in the yoke, he didn't tell them, hey, you need to stand up for your rights and you need to, you know, to, you know uh, fight and do it. He said, hey, if you're a servant under your yoke, he said, count your own master worthy. Of all honor. Say, why is that? Because, you know, sometimes as Christians, we just have to turn the other cheek. That the name of God and His doctrine be not blasphemed. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit these things teach and exhort. See, not, you know, Paul wasn't going, Paul had many ministries. 
ministries to many slaves in, in the New Testament here as you go out to these missions and get a lot of, and he wasn't trying to get them, let's unite and let's rebel. He was just trying to teach them how to be a good Christian, even in their state, even as a slave. Even if he said, you just got to learn to be content. He said, in every state you're in, they're with to be content. But go back, go back to 1 Corinthians 7. Let me, let me clear something up for you. Look at 1 Corinthians 7. Look at verse 21. He said, art thou called being a servant? He said, you, you were, when you got saved, you were a slave, you were a servant. He said, care not for it. You can still do something for God. You can still live for God. But look what he says. But if, look what he said. But if... Thou mayest be made free. He said, use it rather. He said, look, if you can be free, be free. If you can be liberated, be liberated. Why? Because God wants us all to be free. God made us all equal. But He says, if you're a slave, He said, care not for it. See, and today we have this Christian agenda, and there's a certain sector of our society, you know, certain uh, churches and preachers, where their whole Christianity, it's all about fighting for rights, and fighting for law, you know, who are these guys who, um, these reverends who are, man, I can't remember their name, Al Sharpton, who's the other one that's just like Al Sharpton? Jesse Jackson, these so-called preachers of the Word of God, who spend their entire lives and careers fighting for rights and fighting for equality and fighting for... You don't find Paul doing that in the Bible. You don't find Paul going to court and doing these things. You find Paul getting people saved. You find Paul teaching people how to love God and love their their families and and even love their master. And, And he's taught them, you know, if you would love your master, maybe they'd love you back a little bit. Maybe you can get them saved. You know, and, I, and again, I, the, you know, slavery is a despicable sin. And if you could be free, do that rather. You know, use that. Go for it. But that's not Christianity. Sometimes Christianity turns the other cheek. Paul stood up for his rights. But if we ever find ourselves enslaved in this country, you know what? Just live for God anyway. Just do right anyway. I love those stories of the old... Black slaves, you know, where they even in slavery they sang those spiritual songs, and even in slavery they still had their Bibles and they still had their preaching service and they still had their church service and they still had their faith in God. He said, "Well, how can somebody love God and serve God in that state?" Well, Paul taught it. Well, Paul did it. You know, we ought to just learn to be happy. We ought to learn to believe in God and love God. Paul stood up for his rights. There's nothing wrong with standing up for your rights. But that's not the emphasis of the Bible. The emphasis of the Bible is sowing. The emphasis of the Bible is loving others. The emphasis of the Bible is ministering to others. The emphasis of the Bible is sometimes allowing yourself to be defrauded. We talked, number one, about the rights of Christians. Very quickly, let's talk about the rights of mankind. Go with me to Acts 22 again. Look at verse number 26. Acts 22. Look at verse number uh, 26. Acts 22, 26. Somebody should tell Alan Sharpton to get saved and then go get somebody else saved. And do something for eternity's value. Not just for today. Not just for a political agenda. And by the way, these guys act like they're just trying to... They've got a political agenda. They're just part of the democratic movement trying to get all their laws. You know, that's all they are. They're not really out there because they love people and they're trying to help people. If they did, they wouldn't do some of the things they do. Anyway, we'll, we'll talk about that. Maybe when it's not an election or something. Although they're not running for anything, so I can still 
Bad mouth them. Look at verse 26. Let's move on from that. That's my right. <laughs> verse 26. Acts 22, 26. Look what it says. When the centurion heard that, he went and told the chief captain, saying, Take heed what thou doest, for this man is a Roman. So Paul said, Hey, can you scourge a man who is a Roman, being uncondemned? And the centurion was about to beat him. He went to his boss and he said, Hey, take heed what thou doest, for this man is a Roman. He said, This guy's a Roman. He's not a Jew. You can't just beat him. Because in those days, you know, the Romans had rights, but everybody else didn't. Look at verse 29. Then straightway they departed from him, which should have examined him. And the chief captain also was afraid after he knew that he was a Roman, and because he had bound him. So the chief captain was actually afraid. He's like, man, I imprisoned this guy, and he's a Roman. I didn't know that. And I want you to see the difference. Do you, do you see how in verse 24, they, how were they going to get a confession out of him, or get the truth out of him? In verse 24, they are going to beat him, right? But when they find out he's a Roman, in verse 30 it says, And on the morrow, because he would have known the certainty wherefore he was accused of the Jews. So he said, because he wanted to know why he was accused of the Jews, he loosed him from his bands and commanded the chief priest and all their council to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. Do you see the difference? In verse 24, he's like, this guy's a Jew or this guy's an Egyptian, this guy's something else. Let's just beat him till he did, tell us what he did wrong. But then after that, when he finds out he's a Roman, he's like, okay, well, we want to find out what he did wrong. So let's loose him from his bands and let's bring him down and let's have a conversation because this guy's a Roman. And let me tell you something, the Romans had this law here, where if you were Roman, you were afforded uh, rights as a citizen. But anybody else was just lower class. And that's not right. You know, the Bible says that God has made all the nations of the earth of one blood. All our ancestors will lead you back to Noah. All our ancestries will lead you back to Adam. We're all, you know, and the, 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 the Bible says that, that we're all equal, we're all uh, the same, and, and nobody ought to, uh, you know, be, have more rights or have less rights than anyone else. You know, the Bible says that we're equal, and the Bible, let me tell you this, the Bible teaches, go with me to Exodus chapter number 12, real quickly. Exodus chapter number 12. Look at verse number 49. The Bible teaches equality in government. Exodus chapter number 12, look at verse number 49, look what it says, Exodus 12, 49, now look, you, you, I don't, you may or may not like this, but it's the Bible, look at Exodus 12, 49, what it says, I, hit, I, I got on the Democrats, I got to hit the Republicans, it's the only way to be fair and balanced, Exodus 12, 49, look what it says, one law shall be to him that is home born, and unto the stranger that sojourneth among you, do you see that? Now that's just one example. There's hundreds of examples all throughout the scripture where God told the children of Israel that they are to have one law. One law to him that is home born and unto the stranger and sojourn the money. He said, you know, the word stranger there is talking about like an immigrant. And he said, you ought to, you ought to have the same law for everybody. If, if they're a Hebrew, if they're a Jew, if they were home born, they ought to have one law. And if they're a stranger and they're just sojourning with you and they're one born in your nation, you ought to have one law. You know why?
question, then you have the right to close your mouth and say, I plead the fifth. Then some Mexican going to work, driving a truck, being asked the same questions, I'd have the same rights. Amen. Yes, in Arizona. Yes, in Florida. Yes, in California. You're saying, you're crazy. Look, no, I'm just not a robot who just listens to everything the Republican Party says. The Bible says there would be one law. You, you know, we understood this once in our nation. The, the, one of the founding documents of our country said this, we declare these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and they're endowed by their constitution. Is that what it says? No. They're endowed by their creator Amen. with certain unalienable rights. Amen. You shouldn't have rights because you happen to have a green card. You, have, you should have rights because you're born with a soul. Because you're a human being. And God told the children of Israel, there's one law. Now look, if they break that law, if they broke that law, but don't put another law. There shall not be two laws. There's one law for the homeborn. And the only provision that God made to that law is just, if you're going to be a king, you've got to be homeborn. And guess what? We have that today. If you're going to be president, you've got to be born in the United States. Now, there's issues with that, with Barack Obama. <laughs> I don't remember, whatever. I haven't even seen the... I've, people told me that birth certificate looks good. I'm like, okay, whatever. But hey, gotta be one law. One law shall be to him that is homeborn and unto the stranger. And I know that goes against our society today, and that goes against what people believe. But that's what the Bible says. The Bible says there ought to be equality in government. Not only that, there ought to be equality in church. Go with me to Mark chapter number eleven. Mark chapter number eleven. Matthew, Mark. Mark chapter number eleven. Look at verse seventeen. Mark chapter number eleven. Look at verse number 17. Look what the Bible says. Mark chapter number 11. Look at verse number 17. The Bible says, And he taught, saying unto them, It is not written... Look what he says. This is Jesus Christ. It, is, it, is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations... Look what it says. The house of prayer. But ye have made it a den of thieves. The Bible says that... The Bible says, Jesus Christ said that his house... Of all nations should be called the house of prayer. The Bible, he said, you know, what's the house of God today? Well, first of all, it also the church of the living God, which is the pillar and ground of truth. At one point, the house of God was a temple. And before that, it was the sanctuary. And when Jacob was alive, it was a rock that he made a pillar. You know, we understand that. But today, the house of God is the church. What's the church? The congregation. And the Bible says that the congregation ought to be made up of people of all nations, all ethnicities, all colors, all cultures, all, you know, economic structures. You know, you know I am a black churches that are just for black people I'm against Chinese churches that are just for Chinese people I'm against Korean churches that are just for Korean I'm a, that's, there's wrong, something wrong with that the Bible says that at the house of God everyone should be welcome you say well they're black they've got their own church and they're Korean they got their own church and they're white they got no everyone should come together everyone should worship God everyone why because we're all humans he said, in verse 17, and, or, uh, yeah, verse 17, and he taught, saying unto them, Is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer? And you know what I like about our church? Is that it's a house of all nations. You look, you know, this is just every, every, every culture that you can find in Sacramento will be identified here. I love that. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in a sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. That's what the song says. You know, I literally grew up going to Baptist churches 
where we walked into a Baptist church and everyone was white. Except like our family. And then like most of the people in my family are white. So it was just like me. <laughs> just like me and my mom or something. You know, seriously. And I thought to myself, you know, if I ever, the Lord ever allows me to pastor a church, I'd love to have a church filled with just all nations. Why? Because that, you know, you say, well, what's going to unite, you know, the, the, the agenda today is to, is to separate us. The, the agenda today is to, is to have social, you know, warfare. And you know, they're rich, and we're poor, and, and they live in those houses, and we live in this house, and they're that color, and we're, no, 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 that's not what God, God brings us together. Even to the place where a slave can hold hands with his master and say, praise God. That's what God does. Amen. That's what the Bible does. And you know, our nation would, would, would do better to get back to the Bible. Let me show you one more thing. We're done. Acts chapter number 22. Look at verse number 27. Look what it says. Acts 22, look at verse 27. We talked about the rights of a Christian. We talked about the rights of a mankind. Let's talk real quickly. The right to be saved. The right to be saved. The Bible says, Then the chief captain came and said unto him, Tell me, art thou, not, art thou a Roman? And he said, Yea. So he asked him, Are you, are you a Roman? He said, Yes. And in verse 28 he said, And the chief captain answered, With a great sum obtained I this freedom. And Paul said, But I was free born. Now we understand that the physical application here, what they're talking about, and I can really understand because when my family and I, you know, when my family and I was four years old, came to this country, you know, we weren't citizens of the United States of America. We became residents and all that stuff, you know. We went through that whole process and paid a lot of money and, and became legal citizens of the United States of America. But we weren't born citizens. We became citizens with a great sum of money. But there are certain people like my children and my wife who were born here. They were born with the rights and freedoms of an American. And there are others who, who purchased that freedom. And Paul, or this chief you know, uh, captain was saying to Paul, he's saying, look, I don't want you to get me in trouble, okay? Because it cost me a lot of money and a lot of heartache and a lot of struggle. I used to be a slave and, and I obtained this freedom with a, a lot of a great sum of money. And Paul said, but I was freeborn. But you know what, let me tell you something. There's a spiritual application here. You know, I believe that this chief captain represents those people out there who are trying to earn their salvation. There are people out there who are trying to work to get themselves to heaven. They're trying to repent of their sins. They're trying to go to church. They're trying to live a good life. They're trying to put money in the offering plate. And they're literally trying to buy off salvation. And here's the thing I said. This chief captain said to Paul, he said, hey, I obtained this freedom with a great sum. But Paul said, you know what the beautiful thing is? When I was born, I was born free. Let me tell you something. I may have not been born in America. You know, actually go there with me. John, chapter number 3. Look at verse number 3. The Bible says, Jesus said to Nicodemus, Jesus, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born.
born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. See, you cannot be, you cannot buy salvation. You cannot buy the liberty in Jesus Christ. You cannot buy that freedom. You've got to be born into it. Nicodemus said that to him, verse 4, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh and flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, Ye must be born again. You say, how do we get born again? Go to John chapter number 1, look at verse 12. I know this is basic. Can I purchase it? Can I go to church enough for it? Can I live a good enough life for it? No, here's how you get it. John chapter number 1, look at verse 12. But as many as received Him. I love that it says, as many. Say, so, well, how many can, as many. Well, well, how many people can do it? As many as they want. Well, will, will it ever run out? No. Millions have come. There's still room for one. But as many as received Him, talking about Jesus, to them gave He power to become the sons of God. You know what that means? He gave you power to get born again. You know when my son got, you know when my son became my son? Here's when he became my son. When he was born into my family. And when you receive the Lord Jesus Christ, God gives you the power to get born as a son into the family of God, even to them that believe on His name. Go with me real quickly as the last passage. We'll go to Romans chapter number 10. Look at verse number 11. Romans chapter number 10. Look at verse number 11. See, you have rights as a Christian. Sometimes you forego those rights. We understand that. Sometimes you stand up for those rights. We have rights as human beings. Those rights are not given to us by the Constitution. Don't ever tell somebody that you have rights because the Constitution gave you. The Constitution protects your rights. Your rights came from God. Your rights came from your Creator. Romans chapter 10, but there's a right to be saved. Anyone can do it. John 3, 6, said that whosoever... Believe that in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We saw there in John 1.12, but as many, and in Romans 10, chapter number, uh, Romans chapter number 10, look at verse 11, it says, For the Scripture said, Whosoever believeth on Him shall not be ashamed. Look at, look at verse 12, don't miss it, look what it says. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the right of every human being. You know, if someone dies and goes to hell, they'll die and go to hell, it'll be their fault. Because every single person could be saved, if they want to. But it's our job to go out there and Make sure they know, hey, you got rights. You can be born. You don't have to try to purchase it. You can be born. Paul said, the, the, the chief captain said, I, with a great sum of money obtained that is freedom. And Paul said, yeah, but you know what? I was born free. And you know what? Spiritually, I was born again free. I didn't have to buy it. And no one has to buy it. When you say, how do you get it? You just receive the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you Lord so much for your word. And Father, I pray that everyone would take the sermon and that they would learn from it, and that your, your word would be honored through it. Father, we love you. In your precious name I pray.